Pray with me. Holy Spirit, as you spoke to your people through your word for ages and for centuries, speak now through your word and through my words that we might continually be formed into the image of the one who lived, died, and rose for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be back. As many of you know, if you've been here in the last few weeks, I've been gone, so it's good for me to be away, good to rest, relax, but it's also very good to be back here, so I'm excited to to be here with you and to continue studying through the first part of the Gospel of Mark as we've been doing this summer. So I'm very thankful to uh, Pastor Hackett and and Pastor Halp for leading and, and preaching and bringing God's Word as I was gone. I'm also excited to talk about God's Word today. So Mark 7 is where we are, and we're going to get through the end of Mark 8 by Labor Day weekend. Mark 7, kind of a little bit how I felt going away for vacation. The the story begins, excuse me, and we're only going to take the first story about the woman today. So the other one, uh, that's a freebie, it's a great story, study it on your own. But we're not going to actually talk about it, we'll talk just about the first story. And it says in verse 24, it says, Jesus left that place, that is, Sea of Galilee area, the Jewish area, and went to the vicinity of Tyre, two cities, Tyre and Sidon, far away. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not keep his presence secret. So Jesus did most of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee, you know, the Jewish area along the, mostly the northwest shore too. But then he leaves a few times to go away, and so he goes northwest of there to uh, Tyre and Sidon, but he, he goes away to get away from the crowds. Everybody knows who he is in a Jewish area, so he gets away to rest, relax, to other gospels say, you know, to, to be away from crowds. So I, so I kind of felt a little bit in that going away from, from vac- on vacation, being away, resting, rejuvenate, being rejuvenated. I know the feeling that Jesus was after. However, Jesus can't escape knowing who he is. Word has spread too far. People know, and people want what He offers. And so this woman, verse 25, this woman, it says, heard about him. And if you're a mom or a parent, but especially a mom, I would say, who has a child who's been suffering for years, if there's anything that can help your child, you will go find it, won't you? So that's this mom. So she knows Jesus is around, and her little daughter was possessed by a demon, and she comes and falls at his feet. And it says the woman, verse 26, was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon, help my daughter. And so Jesus is culturally far from home. He's up northwest of Galilee. He's on the Mediterranean Sea, cities of Tyre and Sidon. People up there, they're not Jews, and Jews and Gentiles didn't associate much, and had poor views of each other. That's a kind way of saying mutual racism. They thought very poorly of each other and spoke very poorly of each other. And this woman has three strikes against her of why she shouldn't approach Jesus. One, she's a woman, and there's unfortunate inequality in that place in that time. And Jesus is a respected Jewish teacher, so as a woman, she probably shouldn't approach him. Two, She's a Gentile, he's a Greek, and this, I'd say, mutual racism, each one thinking the other is beneath them, she wouldn't approach him. And third, her daughter has a demon, 
And this woman knows that Jesus is Jewish, and they know enough about each other and their customs, and that having an evil spirit is, is a big thing. It is. And, and so she's ritually, ceremonially unclean with all this evil around her, so she shouldn't be going up to this, you might say, holy Jewish rabbi teacher. So three strikes against her, but she doesn't care. She is desperate to get to Jesus for help. And so she barges up to him and begs him to heal her. I wonder for you, when is the last time you approached God like that? When is the last time you were that desperate for Jesus and what only he could give you and that nothing else mattered? You know, so often we pray to God like we're at the Secretary of State or at the deli counter, right? Take a number. Well, uh, 20, I got, you know, 75 and we're at 24. It's going to be a while, right? Take a number. Wait. Oh, uh, yeah, I'd like a, finally wait. I, I'd like a pound of uh, honey-smoked ham because that's pretty good. Oh, wait, I'm Jewish. I mean, I mean corned beef. I like a pound of corned beef. And then uh, half a pound of Colby Jack cheese. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's good. You know, we often pray like, God, you know, I could really use some help over here, and, and if you're not too busy, maybe some over here too, and you know, that's, you know, that, that's good for now. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'll take it and go. When is the last time you prayed like it was life or death? When is the last time you prayed like Jesus is the only one who could truly help you in your life and in your situation? This woman does. This non-Jewish woman does. This woman with three strikes against her understands the gospel better than the disciples do, mostly throughout the gospels. And that's actually a literary theme. If you look at Mark as, a, as literature, a literary theme is the truth in the strangest places. All the people that shouldn't understand know who Jesus is. And all the people that should understand, the disciples often don't. She knew enough. My daughter is afflicted. Jesus is the only one who can help. I better get to him. And then they go on to this weird conversation, which is weird and a bit uncomfortable. Verse 27. So Jesus says to her, first, let the children eat all they want. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And then she says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What's going on there? What does that mean? Because it, it actually doesn't sound good. It kind of sounds like, is Jesus calling her a, a dog? That's, that doesn't sound nice. As I said, Jews and Gentiles had a, a mutual racism. Didn't think well of each other, didn't speak well of each other, thought they were, uh, each other were both beneath them. And so Gentiles had very bad words, you might say racial slurs that they would use when they spoke of Jewish people. And Jewish people had similar terms when they would speak of Gentiles. Jews often called Gentiles dogs because they were ceremonially unclean by Jewish religious standards, by the standards of the Old Testament, and dogs uh, were not, you know, cute, fluffy, shampooed Pomeranians. They were seen as, you know, dirtier, unclean animals. And so they called them that. So the difficult question you might be wondering is, well, does Jesus call her a a dog? It kind of seems like it. Not exactly. There's a few things going on. One, he, he sort of kind of plays with her, banters with her. You see, dog is the term she knows. She's probably been heard that because, like I said, they both have mutually very unkind uh, slurs they use for each other. And uh, so Jesus kind of banters with the language she would already know. But in Greek, 
Jesus doesn't actually use the term everybody else uses. He, he softens it and kind of says, puppy. Not, you know, so he kind of softens it, takes the edge, takes the sting and, and really the offensiveness out of it. But Jesus kind of banters with her saying, well, you know, Jesus, uh, Jewish people often call Gentiles dogs, which kind of means, you know, you and I probably aren't even supposed to be having this conversation. That's kind of what he's saying. And so he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the puppies. What does he mean there? This story in Matthew, it's told in Mark and Matthew, helps us. There's another thing that Jesus says that Matthew records. And Jesus says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the nation of Israel. You see, Jesus' mission, first and foremost, was to his people to tell them that he is their Messiah, come for them. Israelites are God's people. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Jesus came to fulfill the Jewish scriptures and his ministry is first and foremost to tell them their Savior has come. So Jesus goes away, you know, to tire inside and to get away, not to minister. He's away to rest, not to minister. He has a laser focus on who he is and what his ministry is. He has come to tell Israel that their Messiah has come. Now, Israel's Messiah is for all people. Jesus will tell his disciples, go to all the world, make disciples of all nations, yes. But when he starts and his ministry starts, his focus is first and foremost his own people. So he tells this woman, he doesn't say, you're not a part of the kingdom. He's saying, first things first, my focus, my mission is I have to come to tell Israel, my people, it's good news first that their long-promised Messiah and Savior is here. So that's how that goes. He says, first, let the children eat all they want. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But then she snaps right back and says, Lord, even, even the dogs eat the same crumbs. And he says, for such a reply, you may go. Your daughter's been healed. The demon has left her. And she went home and found her child on her bed healed. So the woman basically says, all right, fine. I get it that you're the Jewish Messiah. But I know that there are enough crumbs on that table for me. I know that there is enough grace in you for me. I know that, yes, you are Jewish, you are come to fulfill the Jewish scriptures, you're the Jewish Messiah, but I know that you are for all people and that you are for me. And I know that I have a place in the kingdom too. Can I have that grace? Can I have what you're offering? And Jesus is astounded. Because here he's been trying to tell his own people, his whole ministry, that he is their long-promised Messiah and Savior, and the kingdom of God is near, and they don't care. And they don't receive him, they don't accept him. And here he goes, you know, a bit off of the Jewish ranch, up to Gentile Tyre and Sidon to get away, and here's this woman with three strikes against her and a demon-possessed daughter, and she says, you're the one. I know who you are, and I know that your heart and your grace is big enough for me too, and I need that. And Jesus heals her daughter. So as we've been going through Mark, I've been returning to two questions that have helped guide us. So the first one is, who do you believe Jesus is? Second one is, will you follow him? So who do you believe Jesus is based on this story? Do you believe Jesus to be a universal health care plan? And that's it? Just an itinerant medical healer? Do you believe Jesus' ministry was just a meandering heal fest? 
Do you believe Jesus just walked around looking for people to be nice to because that's all he cares about is being nice? You see, Jesus is actually less concerned with the political correctness of nice as evidenced by willing to kind of engage in this weird banter with this woman because he's more concerned with you knowing exactly who he is and receiving the grace and forgiveness that he is freely offering. Jesus is God with us, God among us, God come to save us, Israel's long-promised Messiah. And he came first and foremost to show them that their Savior has come, which in coming for them then extends to the whole world in every way, for you and for me, forgiveness and healing from sin and, and yes, racial healing and relational healing and restoration of all things. Who do you believe Jesus is? If he is simply a nice healer and a general problem solver, he can't do all those things. He can't bridge divides between cultures and hatred and relationships and sins. But if he is the all-powerful God of the universe who has fulfilled his promise to come and save you, he can. Who do you believe Jesus is? Do you believe that Jesus has enough grace even for you, no matter who you are, do you believe like that woman that no matter how many strikes you have against you or how many sins you have against you, the table of Jesus has more than enough food for you? His grace overflows for you. His blood poured out on the cross overflows for you. No matter how many sins you have piled up in your past, when Jesus comes, the kingdom of of God is near, and you are forgiven, and you are made new. Who do you believe Jesus is? And the second question is, will you follow him? Will you follow this Jesus? And there's one uh, thought, or I have two thoughts here. The first one is, is an interesting vocational point. It's, not, it's a little off topic, but I think it's worth talking about. And that is, Jesus knew exactly who he was, and what his mission was. His mission was to Israel. His disciples later was to the Gentiles, to all nations, but Jesus' mission was to Israel, to tell them their Messiah, their Savior has come. So Jesus knew exactly what was his to do. And when people would try to distract him from that, yes, he showed compassion to this woman, but he stayed on point. He knew exactly what he was called to do, and he focused on that. What about you? What are you and only you called to do? And with that, what are you not called to do? What are the responsibilities and relationships and people under your care that God has entrusted to you? What are you called to do? Because in doing that, you serve Jesus. When you wake up tomorrow, some of you will take care of young children. When you wake up tomorrow, some of you will leave your house and work somewhere. Some of you will care for an ailing parent or friend. Some of you will plan for the upcoming months. Some of you will volunteer somewhere. Some of you will make meals for friends or family. What are you called to do? But with that, what are you not called to do? Look, if you have a, a dentist appointment tomorrow morning and you need to get a tooth pulled, and you go there, you, you, you know, don't sleep well because, you know, you're getting a tooth pulled in the morning. And you go, get up, drive there. Of course, everybody brushes their teeth before they go to the dentist, no matter what. 
go there, wait in the lobby, then walk down the hall and sit in the chair and, you know, they put you back and then put that light in your eyes. And then you get some shots to numb the pain and then you're expecting the dentist to come in. And instead of the dentist coming in, I walk in the room with rusty needle nose pliers and say, open up. You would not be glad to see me, I guarantee it. <laughs> you see, I'm not called to be a dentist. I have no training. I have no licensure. I have no business being there. I'm not, I'm not good at science. But if you're in the hospital and I'm able to visit, you might be glad to see me. Maybe. You see, in Jesus staying focused on his mission to his own people and know what his calling and purpose is, he does give the gift to you of focus. To say, what am I called to do and what am I not called to do? Jesus' focus gives you focus. And then the second point, what, will you follow him? This kind of gets us back to where we started and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up with this. How desperate are you to get to Jesus? He is the only place you'll actually find what your soul is searching for your whole life. When is the last time you barged through the crowds like this woman, even pushing people out of the way, so to speak, to get to Jesus in prayer? When's the last time you prayed like that? When's the last time you poured out your soul and simply said, Jesus, I don't know much, but I know that I need what you have. I need even the crumbs from your table. They're enough. I need the blood from your hands and your feet and the forgiveness spoken from your lips. Will you follow this Jesus? Will you trust that his grace is enough for you and it's abundant for you? Will you trust that even crumbs from God's table are enough for what you're going through? Crumbs from Jesus are far better than steak from anyone else. Crumbs from Christ are far better than lobster from a liar. And guess what? Jesus doesn't give you crumbs. He gives you himself. He gives you his own life poured out for you to give you life. He bled and died and was raised for your forgiveness and your renewal, and his table is always overflowing with more than enough to feed you. Will you follow him? Because just even his crumbs are far more than enough for whatever you face. So may the peace that surpasses our understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.